Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We want to uh, get in this tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He's talking to adults, so we know obviously he's not talking about being a literal baby, but he's trying to make a correlation here in understanding that there's an expectation to grow and to go somewhere in our walk with the Lord. He says in verse two, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. So as ministers and people that you have in your life, it's important to know your audience. Amen? It's important to recognize what level, spiritually speaking. And it's obvious here that even in the word of God and talking about our spirit man on the inside, remember you're a three-part being, you are a spirit. That's who you are. We're talking about identity during that song just now, talking about you know, who we are in Christ. And you've got to learn to, identi- to identify with your spiritual identity, not your natural identity. Doesn't matter if you're divorced, doesn't matter if you're bankrupt, doesn't matter if you're broke, doesn't matter if you're hurt, doesn't matter uh, uh, if you're rich. Those things don't identify who you are, who you really are, okay? And so there's obviously natural growth that we see. We begin, we all come in as babies, Nobody's ever popped out a 30-year-old man ready to go to the workplace and start. No, we, we come in, uh, in, in in a way we're completely helpless. There's nothing I can do for you. I, I, all the attention is on me. I need you to feed me, change me, take care of me, clothe me, put me to sleep. I, I can't even go to sleep without having someone put me to sleep. I mean, babies are completely helpless. I was just talking with someone today. We had uh, pastor friends of ours from Tennessee. They were leaving Disney and passing through and they stopped in this afternoon and uh, they had two of their kids, young kids, four and uh, their baby girl can't be more than two. She's probably a little over one. And um, she was, you know, getting into stuff and up here on the stage about to just jump off the stage and grabbing stuff. And then we went out there and getting into all kinds of stuff. And I was just thinking, I'm so glad I'm, past that stage in my parenting. You know, I just look at Camden and he knows how to respond. But, uh, uh, you know, that, that beginning early stage, we're, we're helpless. And when you come in to the kingdom, that's why we call it being born again, right? Jesus in John chapter three talking to Nicodemus and what did he tell him? He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus only being able to relate to the natural said, how in the world can I, go back into my mom and be born again. That's the only relation he could give to that statement. But Jesus wasn't talking about naturally being born again. He's talking about spiritually being born again. And that's where we get that term from for salvation. So we come into the kingdom helpless. We come into the kingdom as babies. And just as with natural babies, you can't just give them anything. You can't just feed them whatever you want. You can't order them a steak. For a long time, they're only able to really drink stuff. And if you give them any kind of food, it's mush and it's really 
doesn't re- demand a lot of chewing anyways. Just put it in your mouth and swallow it and get it all over your face and throw it at people. It's about what babies do. But as we grow, what we're seeing is there's a difference in our intake. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. That, that tells me that this word can be milk for a baby or steak for the mature. This one book, there's, there's not different volumes, like this is the baby volume, this is the, the adolescent volume, this is the adulthood volume. It's all in there. And this is why, has anyone ever read the Bible and made this statement? Wow, I never saw it that way before. Anybody in the room ever done that? Wow, I never saw, it's because you grew in maturity. This Bible doesn't grow in knowledge or grow in wealth or grow in wisdom. It's all there. But it's up to the receiver to determine what level of revelation you get. It's up to us to determine, do I get deep or do I get surface? Do I get one level of revelation or do I get a higher level of revelation? That's on me. You know, I have taught at high levels to people that are mature or should be mature, but I've also broken it down to where I could teach the same passage that I would teach in here in a children's classroom. I mean, I could take a passage like Matthew 6.33 and talk about seek ye first the kingdom of God in here and get deep with it and, and go somewhere with it, but then I could also take it into the two-year-old classroom, and talk to them about how you seek first the kingdom of God. Same scripture. So it's not the word that changes, it's us and our ability to receive and what level we receive on. But now watch this. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. So he recognized you weren't even able. Even if I wanted to go there, you couldn't receive it. There was times when Jesus would look at his disciples and say, you can't receive it. It's not, it's too deep for you to bear now, but the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you at a later time. But there, he said, there's things I would like to share with you right now, but you could not bear them. There's gotta be a sensitivity in what we communicate and how we communicate based upon the audience we're communicating to. And too many times there are teachers, preachers, or people that just know the word that wanna communicate based on their level, not the person that's receiving. Remember, I was in Bible school and we had a lab class where we had to build a sermon. You're taught how to build a sermon, how to take something out of the word, build a sermon, and then deliver it in our class. And I remember a particular individual that taught, and then afterwards, our instructor, his name was Doug Jones, Reverend Doug Jones, still in Tulsa today at, at Rama, and, and he was my instructor, lab instructor, and he, at the end of the message, he told this one particular individual, you are teaching that as if you're talking to Bible students. But when you leave this place, you're not going to go to a church that has a bunch of Bible students. Now, there's a difference between watering down and dumbing down the word and getting the word to a level where people can receive it. I'm not talking about dumbing it down and, and compromising the truth of the word and watering down. You can, you can have the truth in liquid form or solid form based upon where you're at in levels of maturation. So we've got to be careful. He says, there was a time where I knew you could only handle solid food. 
But then he goes on to say, for until now you are not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. What Paul is saying here in this passage, and if you read through the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, you find out just how carnal they were. What he's saying is there's an expectation to mature and grow. There's an expectation. There's not one person that comes into the kingdom of God that God does not expect them to grow and mature spiritually. Maybe churches or denominations or pastors have brought that down to a level where they don't go any deeper than surface information, but that's not the way God designed it. Not the way God designed it, that you come in as a convert and never become a disciple. That's not the way he designed it. So the way we come in is not the way we should stay. There's an expectation to mature. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we see this kind of reiterated. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start with verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 11. Paul again is speaking and he says, and he himself gave some, that's talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That is what is known as the five-fold ministry. Some are to be apostles, some are to be evangelists, some are to be prophets, some are to be teachers, some are called to be pastors. And out of all five of those arenas, they all have the same goal. I think there's a lot of confusion today in the differences between the gifts, the ministry gifts, and the fivefold ministry gifts. And uh, I think one day we'll probably uh, do a series on that. And I'll teach you about the five different gifts. It's important that we notice them all, and all five should operate and still be active in the earth today. Not one of them has died off. Prophets weren't just for the old, ta- old days, but we don't need prophets anymore and, 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 and teachers and pastors. We need all five gifts operating in the church, period. And operating together, not in competition. I'm so sick and tired of evangelists saying that we don't need pastors and they, they just wanna you know, go deep in the word. They don't care about winning souls. And then I'm tired of hearing pastors talk about uh, evangelists that all they care about is winning souls and just getting all, getting all these babies, but not do. But what if the evangelists would do their job and get people born again and brought into the kingdom and then hand them off to a pastor that can shepherd them, grow them, feed them, correct them, change their diapers and do all the things that you gotta do to grow up a believer? Wonder what that would look like. Bible tells us if we were all an eye, where would the hearing be? If we were all uh, uh, an ear, where would the seeing be? If, if, if one gift was needed, see, nobody has ever walked on this planet and has operated in all five gifts except Jesus. So you know what that tells me? We need each other. We need all of us working together. Too much competition in the church today. And competition breeds division. It doesn't breed uniformity. It doesn't breed oneness. It breeds, it breeds, oh, I'm over here and you're over here and that's just what we have to do. But we gotta work together. So he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All five 
are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The word for, whenever you see the word for, what comes after the word for is for the purpose of what comes before the word for. So why do I need fivefold ministry gifts in my life? And not just need fivefold ministry gifts, submit to fivefold ministry gifts. There's a difference between going to church and submitting to leadership. There's a difference between coming in here and filling a seat and actually getting your hands dirty and participating and allowing the leadership that God has placed over your life to grow you and develop you and change you and draw out the potential that you need. Going to church is not the answer. I wanna clarify that. No, you need to submit to leadership and you need to submit under somebody. And I've seen people that they just attend, but they don't serve in any capacity. When the worship pastor says, everyone just raise your hands, they just sit there like this because my agenda is better than your agenda. And my purpose is better than your. No, you need to get connected and need to get involved. And I don't have any shame in saying that. And people get, you know, people leave churches for funny reasons. Well, I got hurt there. I wonder how many times you've gotten hurt at your job, but you keep going back because they give you a paycheck to come get. So the dollar is your God, not God. Well, I was offended. You quitting? Well, no, I, I got to make a check. I got to make a paycheck. But I don't like those people. I don't talk to them. There's a joke. They, they told this joke uh, last week at a conference we were at. They, there was a guy that he, was, he got stranded on an island. And he got, he, he got stuck there for a while. And finally, after several years, some, some people found him on this island. And he had these structures built. Just one person stuck on this abandoned island all by himself. And they're like, well, what's this building over here? Oh, that's my house. That's where I live. Okay, well, what's that building? That's my church. That's where I go to church. Okay, well, what's that building? That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Everybody's got a church they go to. And everybody's got a church they used to go to. And you're all by yourself. And you're going to find a way <laughs> to get offended. To get hurt. All right, so let's move on. So the fivefold ministry gifts are for the equipping of the saints. That's you. It's the body of Christ being built up as the body of Christ. For, why do I need to be equipped, Pastor Mark? You need to be equipped for the work of ministry. You didn't know that verse was in there. Some Christians would be really surprised to find out there's work involved. Some Christians would be really surprised to find out that it's not just up to the pastors to do all the ministry. Some some Christians would be really surprised to find out that it's not okay to just come in, plop, find a seat, and then leave and, you know, get your little devotion for the day, get your little Jesus, your little religious formality out of the way, and then go back and do whatever you want. They would be surprised to find that out. But it says that the saints are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. Why do we need the work of the ministry, Pastor Mark? For the edifying of the body of Christ. If we see a church that isn't edified, edify means to be built up. If we see a church that isn't connected, isn't encouraged, look, if you leave this place discouraged, there's something wrong. 
When we come to church, we should be edified. We should leave better than we came. We should be encouraged. And so the reason why we wouldn't, we wouldn't have that happen is either, number one, we don't have the work of ministry going on by the saints. The pastors are doing all the work. Number two, there aren't any real leaders or pastors equipping the body of Christ. The result of having a five-fold ministry base is to build up the saints so the saints can do the work of ministry. A healthy church looks like this, a church where everybody has buy-in, everybody's connected, and everyone's participating. The health of the church is not in numbers, seating capacity, size of building, how much is in the bank account. The healthy church is working and doing something. Unhealthy churches are sitting, are sitting idly by waiting for somebody else to do it. That's an unhealthy church. They don't, they don't work. It's not the system that God designed or implemented. Now watch this, verse 13. So now your next question is, okay, Pastor Mark, how long do we allow the five-fold ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the church? How long does that take place? Until we all come to the unity of the faith? I think we're gonna be here a while. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that word perfect means mature. Not perfect as in I miss it. Mature people miss it, correct it, fix it, and don't do it again. That's a sign of maturity. Immature children, when they make mistakes, they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to implement something so they don't make the mistake next time. That's immaturity. Mature people know how to wake up when the alarm clock goes off. Immature people hit snooze 18 times and then don't do anything to change so Tuesday I don't wake up late like I did on Monday. Is that you? Gotcha? Nailed it. Got an altar right here. You can come repent. <laughs> Hallelujah. He says, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness, not the halfness, not a little bit, not a small percentage, the fullness of Christ. Um, to the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be what? Children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Have you ever seen children? They're very erratic. They follow anything. They're not very focused. They're not very set in their ways. Children, you know, they will break structure. You have to create structure. I've never seen a child that came to me and asked for structure. You have to teach them and mold them and shape them to live with structure. So childish people, immature people in the kingdom of God, they, they follow every little thing that comes along. There's, not, there's no groundedness. There's no fixed position. Tossed and fro by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They can't figure out that it's a trick. They can't figure out it's a trap. But we've got to mature. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love that we may what? Grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is jointed and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, 
Every part. There's no inactive participation here. There's no inactive members of the body. If any of your body members, your physical body members go inactive, you start to work to correct it. Hello. If it's dysfunctional, we get it functioning again. By which every part does its share, and that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So again, second reference, we see that maturity or growing up is an expectation, not an option. Not every church may say that, but I'm gonna go with what the Bible says. I'm not going with popularity. I'm going with what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter five and verse 11. Hebrews chapter five and verse 11. It says here, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Since you, have you ever had someone blame you for not being able to, for for them not being able to explain something? Oh, we can explain it. It's hard to explain, but I can explain it. But you have grown dull in your hearing. Dull meaning familiar. There's no hunger. You know, God meets hunger. God, need, God meets hunger. When we don't hunger for the things of God, when we don't hunger after the word of God, you know, when you're not hungry, even, even a five-star meal isn't appetizing. It doesn't matter how good the word is. If you're not hungry for it, you'll dismiss it. If you don't hunger for the word, if you're not hungry for it, if you don't have a desire for it, if you're just trying to, to, to do a religious formality, and people ask me, how, how do you grow in your desire for the word of God? You read the word of God. There's no trick. There's no magic potion or any, any little nugget that I could give you that'll make you desire or cause you to desire the word of God. It comes from doing it. And when you do it, you become more hungry for it. So he says that we have grown dull of hearing. Verse 12, watch this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Again, expectation, not optional. He's not saying some of you might be teachers. Some of you should be teachers. If you feel like it, you can be a teacher. It's, op- it's here for you. Now he's saying this is the expectation of those that believe and follow Jesus. If you are a Jesus follower, if you are in the kingdom of God, if you have received salvation, if you have received repentance and forgiveness of your sins, if you have set aside the worldly things and are going after God, it is not an option. You should be at a point that you should be so mature and so developed that you can help lead others. This, is, this book is written to believers. That's the qualifier. It's not talking to Bible school students. It's not talking to five-fold ministers here. We're not using the word teachers as a five-fold ministry. We're just communicating this a level of teaching and a level of ability that should be happening in every believer. It's an expectation. 
So now this writer has come back and says, you should have been able to do this, but now you need someone to teach you again. The first principle, first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. If you give solid food to a baby, you will choke them and could potentially kill them. So important that we are communicating on the level people can receive. Communicating on the level of their spiritual development. He says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. Well, how do you get skilled? You train, you develop it through discipline and consistency. It's not a skill that just comes on you. It's not a gift of skill. You develop the skill. You develop it by doing it and by working it. But those who partake only of milk, they're unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Look at the words that are in this passage, skilled, use, discipline. They have exercised their senses to discern. That means to tell the difference between the two, between good and evil. What are we getting at? We're getting at the fact that spiritual maturity is not an option, it's an expectation for every believer. And it hasn't been made that big of a deal. It hasn't been presented at the level of seriousness and severity that it ought to be. But Christians, believers, everybody in this room, anybody that claims to follow Jesus, anyone that is a Christian, there is a, there is a need and a expectation that we grow up in the word of God. So immaturity, immaturity is for a time and for a season, but it should not remain that way forever. So we've got to define the difference between mature believers and immature believers. And the world wants to try to skew those definitions. And there are even churches that cater to one or the other. But our goal, especially at this church, is to provide opportunities for people to go from immaturity to maturity. Because I've yet to meet anyone that comes into the kingdom as a full-grown adult of age, mature, that, are, that automatically exercises the word in every arena of their life. You don't come in that way, which means I have to grow to become that. The opposite of growth is death. The opposite of growth is death. If I'm not pushing and moving towards growth in my life, there's only one other option. I, I, I intend to die there to stay stuck. Anybody want to grow in here? Spiritual growth, developing, developing, strengthening my spirit man so that I can grow and develop into the things of God. So the opposite of growth is death. If you're, see, just because you're living doesn't mean you're not dying. You hear that? Just because you're living 
I mean, you could really almost say it this way, from the day you come in to the world, you're dying. You're only moving closer towards that. But in the kingdom of God, there has to be a progression in our lives. Things that I struggle with last year, I don't struggle with now. Uh, areas that I wasn't applying the word then, I'm applying it now, and I'm seeing the results of that. There's gotta be a development of our spirit, man. We cannot just think that we can stay the way that we are. And so... If we're not interested in growing, then we must be interested in dying. If I'm not interested, if I'm not going to put the things in place, the practices in place in my life, then I'm not going to have the opportunity. Everything in God's word is for my benefit. Every bit of it. Every part of it. Anytime that, that I'm challenged to live according to the word, it's only for my development. It's only so that I can grow. God has nothing in here that we have to deter or work around because it might be a trap or it might be a trick that will get us, you know, moving towards dying. Everything God has placed in scripture is for our benefit. The, the writer of Hebrews said that the examples of the Old Testament are examples so that we don't repeat that. I mean, when you look at the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, moving towards the promised land, that's an example for us to stay away from the things that trapped them in the wilderness and they never had access to the promised land. But yet, many times we end up repeating the same things they did thousands of years ago, even when we have the right example, even when we have it in front of us of what to do and what not to do, we still find ourselves in the same trap. You know, the word discipline comes from the word disciple. It's the same thing. The disciples of Jesus were identified by their discipline, by their consistency, and by their exampleship. So much so that even after Jesus left and they were confronted by, uh, you know, the, the government there in Acts when they began doing miracles and signs and wonders, they recognized you guys have been with Jesus. That's a high level of discipline that I can tell who you hang around by what you're doing, by how you're behaving, by what you sound like, what you talk like. You're identified as being with Jesus himself. That's pretty incredible. I want to live a life that I'm identified as being with Jesus. I want to live a life that is identified that I'm a believer and I hold to the word of God and I don't deviate and I don't live my, to my own agenda, to my own purpose. I put the word of God in practice in my life. Growing old is inevitable. Growing up is optional. Growing old, so you don't, you don't mature as a believer over time. Time is not the factor. It's investment. It's what you put in. If you want to grow, you got to put investments in. You've got to put attention there. You've got to give yourself to it fully so that it can produce in your lives. Growing up, growing old is inevitable. Growing up is optional. Uh, look at John chapter 15. I don't know if I gave that to the guys in the back, but John chapter 15 You know, progression can be confusing sometimes. The writer of Hebrews 
said that they had to go back and be taught again the elementary principles. I think there's always a need to go back to the foundation. And here we are at the end of the year ensuring that our foundation is okay. If there's cracks in the foundation, they may not show up now, but if they continue to be ignored, they're gonna cause compromise in the structure as it continues to grow. So we wanna seal the cracks in the foundation. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna go into 2019 with cracks in my foundation. I don't wanna take the next step that God has for me without confronting and challenging the, cr- the cracks that are in my life. I, I, I use this bucket, or I, I use this uh, example of using a bucket that has holes in the bottom of it. And you're always needing someone to pour in your bucket. So they pour in the bucket and we get to a certain level and everything's good and everything's great, but we don't do anything to seal the holes in the bottom of the bucket. And guess what? You're leaking. And before you know it, you've got to get, you've got, you've got to have somebody else, an external, something from the outside coming that has to fill you back up again. No, we need to learn to stay filled up. We need to learn to stay filled up with the word of God. Stay filled up with the spirit. Stay full. So much so that it overflows and begins to pour out on other people. But we'll never pour out under, onto other people until we seal the holes in the bucket. And there will be a time where the people that are filling your bucket will stop coming around and they, will, they won't be there to fill your bucket anymore. I mean, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. We know that there was about a four to seven year gap from the time that he wrote, uh, from the time that he passed to the church, left, and now is writing this letter. Four to seven years have come back or have, have gone by since he's come back now writing this letter, which tells me that I can expect spiritual maturity anywhere between four and seven years out of, out of a believer, out of a new convert. Four to seven years is a good timeline to expect a new believer who's been hearing the word and is in the word and is growing up that they should be producing within four to seven years. Because he's not writing it as an option. He's writing it as an expectation. I thought that I would get a report back that you were doing everything I had taught you and grew you up in, but apparently you still need more milk. Here I am coming back. I thought I could give you some solid food by now and you can't handle it. You'll choke on it. I can't go any deeper, not because I don't want to go any deeper, not because Jesus didn't want to go deeper with his disciples, not because the writer of Hebrews didn't want them uh, uh, to be teachers. He couldn't go any deeper, give them anything further because they weren't handling what they already had. There's still this immaturity that shows up. In John chapter 15 and verse one, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it can bear more fruit. That's maturity. You know, even plants have a maturation process. Maturity isn't just in humans. There's a lot of things that mature. An investment can mature. Money can mature. Plants, we're seeing that a plant can mature. And so immaturity robs us of blessing. Immaturity robs us of purpose. 
And I meet plenty of people that say that they want to live their life with purpose and they want to have direction. But the problem is, is they're not maturing to the level that they can live it out. They're remaining childish. They're remaining at a baby level. So they can't bear. He says the ones that don't bear, he cuts them off. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Where we abide determines where we grow. Where we abide determines where we grow. You want to grow in the word of God? You got to abide in it. You don't grow in the word of God with the U version uh, verse of the day popping up on your phone. Doesn't work. That's not growth. Try feeding a baby that much and see how much growth you get out. I mean, we give our body three solid meals a day at least, and we give our spirit man one little nugget on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, if we're lucky to do that four to eight times within a month. I mean, think about it. If you went out to eat one day for one meal a week, what would you look like? You would die. You can't sustain off of that. So then we end up in survival mode rather than thriving. Forget the whole equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Forget the whole edifying the body of Christ. Forget the whole every part doing its share. Forget all that mess. You aren't even taking in enough nutrition and enough nutrients to develop yourself, much less be able to help anybody else. In all these passages, it's all about our effect or our influence on somebody else. Hebrews said you ought to be teachers. You ought to be sharing what you know with somebody else. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, how are they carnal? They're lying, cheating, taking each other to court, sleeping with people they shouldn't be sleeping. I mean, the whole mess is in there, 1 Corinthians. The whole, it's a messed up book. I love how Tony Cook, when he was here, he identified that all the other, little, all the other letters, Ephesians, Colossians, you know, the longest one, Ephesians, is six chapters. But between Corinthians... First and Second Corinthians, I can't remember, what are they, like 13 chapters apiece? 15 chapters apiece? I mean, you're talking close to 30 chapters written to a messed up church. The other, the other church has got it. You wanna, do you need a long letter? I hope, I, don't, I hope this church doesn't need a long letter. I hope we can get the, the short, cut to the chase, nitty gritty Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, that, that Corinthians mess. You, you gotta read that letter. And he's calling them out. And he starts giving names. That's rough. <laughs> you were doing that? Calling them out because of their lack of maturity. Because, see, maturity and immaturity affect those around you. They do. Immaturity demands that other people have to take care of you. Demands that you always have to have an external force. See, right now, when I go to cross the street with Camden, I have to hold his hand and say, look both, way, look both ways before you run into the street, before you go to cross the street. But I hope at some point in his life, I don't have to do that. 
I hope he's not 30 years old and I have to hold his hand and say, let's look both ways with the wife and kids. Yeah. I want to be a positive impact on those around me. It's dangerous to, dem- it's dangerous to demand growth where there hasn't been discipline. It's dangerous to demand growth where there hasn't been discipline. I mean, that's what being a disciple is all about. Look, there's sometimes I wish that he would have said in, in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, go into all the world preaching the gospel and making converts. Sometimes I wish that because that's easy. I mean, you can, be, you can be converted just not wanting to go to hell, Right? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and get born again. That, that, that hellfire and brimstone stuff, that doesn't sound very exciting. So yeah, gold streets, mansions, I'm in. Where do I sign? But then when you tell them what that life really looks like and how disciplined you have to be, when you have rich young rulers coming to you just thinking that they can just jump on the bus and say, hey, I want to come follow you. Uh, how do I get eternal life? And then Jesus says, okay, go sell all that you have and give it. You didn't, I didn't know he had to give stuff up to follow Jesus. I didn't know I had to discipline myself. I didn't know that I had to make sacrifices to be in the kingdom of God. Forget it. And he went away sorrowful, the Bible says. Immature. Because maturity will make sacrifices where immaturity won't. So we can't make demands where there isn't discipline. Spiritual discipline allows for spiritual growth. You know, we just got done talking kind of on a a series the last several Wednesday nights before last week on the value of the word of God, why we should value the word of God. And it should go without saying, but yet we still have to teach on the value for the word of God and why we need to be in it daily, why we need to have a daily feed from the word. I mean, we read all the other feeds Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds. Let's feed on the word of God and see what the word can develop in your life. Half the stuff we go through, we wouldn't need external things to coach us, teach us, train us, mentor us, disciple us, because on the inside, we would be putting the word of God, hiding it that I might not sin against him. That's what David said. That's what David said. Yes, we need pastors. Yes, we need teachers. Yes, we need a body. Yes, we need a local church to go to. But but that's just to get you started. We mature when we start putting it into practice for ourselves. You don't have to work to get it, but you do have to work to use it. You don't have to work to get it, but I do have to work it to use it. I want to see more believers using and applying and putting the word of God to practice in their lives. See the results from what you use. That's where we want to be. We want to be so steadfast in the word and we want to be so steadfast in our discipline that you can become an example to others of how to live. Amen. It's really quiet tonight, so I'm I'm hoping that this is sinking in. Amen. This is the thing about spiritual growth. Every level requires less of one and more of the other. Every level in spiritual growth requires less of something and more of something. 
That's kind of how we live our lives. Everything we say yes to means that I have to say no to something else. And so when I say yes to following Jesus and yes to growing deeper and, and going higher in my walk with God, then guess what? I've got to learn to say no to some things. Less of me, more of him. I must decrease so he can increase. So every time you go up a level, be prepared to lay something down. That's where you see real discipline. You look at these athletes. Athletes are disciplined. Professional athletes are disciplined. They discipline their bodies. They don't just live and partake and do just like what everybody else is doing. Why? Because they have set themselves to a cause, to an effort, to a mission, whatever it is that they've set themselves to. And guess what? They recognize if I partake of this, it will compromise this. We got to do the same thing in the kingdom of God. That's what spiritual discipline is all about. The more disciplined you get, the less you do, the less you partake of, the less you engage in, the less you keep around you, the less that you allow your environment to feed into you. You learn to, to separate things. You learn to cut things off. You learn to, to, to put things out of your life, recognizing that it will compromise where you're trying to go. Your priorities change. That's why Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What is that? That's priority, putting him first place. Disciples of Jesus, they made sacrifices. They made sacrifices because they knew one day there was gonna be a demand on their life that they had to draw, that, that people would have to draw from. They could not allow certain things in their lives. And disciples learn how to sacrifice. Disciples learn how to lay down. Because see, Jesus is not going to take anything from you. If you want to keep doing it, he'll let you. If you want to keep hanging around those people, he'll let you. The choice is yours. If you don't feel like going to church, he's not going to make you. Jesus has never drug anyone to church. Your mom might drag you, your friends might drag you, but Jesus won't. But to be a disciple, there's levels of commitment. There's levels of commitment and there's levels of compromise. I'm not going to allow these certain things in my life because it will compromise where I'm trying to go. And that's when Jesus said, hey, there's an us and there's a them. See the multitudes over here? They're not, they're not willing to make the sacrifice. See, the greater the sacrifice, the smaller the crowd. The greater the sacrifice, the smaller the crowd. We just talked about that a little bit on Sunday. There's people that will stay on the shore. There's people that will get in the boat. And then there's people that will step out of the boat. And the greater the sacrifice, the smaller the crowd. Multitudes stayed on the shore. 12 got in a boat. One stepped out. You see that level of, see, you can't be surprised when you make a commitment and people leave you. You make a commitment to do something for God and not everybody comes along with you. That's part of it. That's a sacrifice. You make a commitment to do something and you don't have time to do this other thing anymore. I mean, I've had people tell me, uh, I've had people literally tell me that, you know, they would go to church, but Sunday's the one day they get to sleep in and they just really enjoy their sleep. They just have to have that rest. Well, 
You partake of one and you compromise the other. Like God doesn't know how to give us rest. He said, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, wherever, wherever you go to be filled in life, that's the reward you get. That's the extent. If you want to stay home on Sunday morning and get sleep, then that's all you're going to get is sleep. And whatever, whatever kind of natural level of rest sleeping can give you. But when you make sacrifices for God, when you begin to live a life where I'm growing up spiritually, which means I'm cutting things off and letting things go, he knows how to make up for all the things that we miss out. You won't be short of friends for living for God. You'll probably find out that all you really needed was one. You didn't need 10 different people that were all dragging you the wrong way. You needed one that was gonna take you in the right direction. You didn't need 10 people to tell you yes every time something happened. You needed one that would tell you no. See what I'm saying? The disciples knew. The disciples knew we follow him. We may be giving up a lot, but what we gain is greater. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I am gaining by following Jesus. I'm gaining by letting go. The kingdom, is the, only, the kingdom is the only arena where you can let go and you get more back. That's it. Even financially speaking. It's the only arena where you can let go of. Because God, God never takes, you have to give it. That's why I quit saying, now we're going to take up an offering because I've never taken an offering in my life. I've never literally gone up to someone and snatched the offering out of their hand and said, thank you for giving your offering today. No, we're going to receive it. We'll receive the offering. Why? Because it's your commitment to give out of what God has given you the 100%. He's only asking for the 10. But he gave you all of it. He's worthy of all of it. All of it could go to him. And he said, just give me 10. You can keep the 90. Now all of a sudden the 90 seems great. Because that's how God's systems work. When you disciple, when you discipline, when you set yourself on a course to live according to the word of God, to desire to grow spiritually, you are not, you will not be minus anything. Because he knows how to get it back to you. He knows how to grow you. He knows how to develop you. You may be giving your time to this, but he knows how to give you your time. He can redeem the time. You may, giving, you may be giving efforts. You may be giving finances. Whatever you give to God always comes back to you. Whatever you give to the world, you lose. You lose. So this is what happens when we decide to follow Jesus. Spiritual growth becomes the core goal and the core reason why we do what we do. Not for my status, not for what I can become, but because of who he is. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.